Welcome back, radio entrepreneurs, listeners, and fans. I'm producer Jillian King, and I'm excited to introduce you all to part two of the winter 2024 FBA family business panel discussion, Family Transitions, When Families Start Too Late. In this second part, we will be covering topics related to Do family members of the closely held business automatically inherit the management control of running the family business? The impact of the interpersonal relationships and decision-making dynamics of family members, key employees, and key customers when ownership control changes? And who decides which family members are fit to lead? And much more. If you have not yet seen part one of the panel discussion, we recommend you head over to radioentrepreneurs.com or any of the many other channels we stream on to catch the first segment where we discuss preparing for and planning for a transition. All of these discussions are intended to be highly relevant to family businesses, but also to entrepreneurs of all types. So be sure to follow Radio Entrepreneurs on LinkedIn, YouTube, Facebook, Spotify, or any of the many other platforms we stream on to catch the third segment as it goes live. Next, I will introduce our panelists and the moderator for this discussion. For the full introductions, please refer back to part one. We are joined today by Stephen Wilchins, founding partner at Wilchins, Cosentino and Novins, and Chris Lynch, president and CEO of Lawrence Lynch Corp. Welcome back all. Last but not least, Radio Entrepreneur's host and founder of Mage LLC, Jeffrey Davis. Welcome, Jeffrey. I will now hand the conversation over to you. Thank you very much, Jillian. Thank you for your work. Uh, Welcome back, Chris and Stephen. You know, this whole family business transition, I've told people for many years, it's not a cookbook. It doesn't come out of a book. It's not an easy story. And it's very iterative and unique to every company. And some people just want this to be too simple. So I love the subject. I love discussing it with both of you. Before we start, Chris, you yourself and your family has had quite a journey all the way from Rhode Island to Massachusetts. It's a long schlep and uh, four generations. And I'm wondering if you could tell us a little bit about your family's journey and story. Yeah, certainly, Jeff. Uh, So my great-grandfather started the business in Providence, Rhode Island in the early 1900s. He, in fact, married into a family that was doing some road construction. Uh, but he started the business uh, back in the early 1900s, and it then transitioned to to his son, my grandfather, and then to my dad and his brother, uh, my uncle. And that they they in 1972 or so, early 70s, they decided to expand geographically. So at that point, uh, my uncle stayed in. Providence uh, with the original company and my dad moved out here to the Cape where he where they bought an existing asphalt plant construction company and a number of years after that uh, as we discussed succession my my uncle's children were all working in the business Uh, my dad who had four of us none of us were engaged at the time so he in fact sold his portion of the other facilities, which at that time included uh, facilities in Providence, Worcester, and Connecticut. Uh, So he separated into just the Cape operation. So from there, he's transitioned it to me, and and we consider ourselves now fourth generation. I have two children who work with me, so 
it's it's been a nice opportunity for all of us. So are you the third or the fourth? Fourth. So your children are the fifth. Correct. Correct. Oh, that's quite an accomplishment. And you're uh, less than five fingers percentile of success, probably less than three or four percent. Steve would agree with me uh, with your family business experience, actually make it to the fifth generation. It's probably around three or four percent. Correct, Steve? Correct. Absolutely. So you really have done something uh, that is a model for uh, our listeners and other families that are trying to do these things. So uh, let me get back to our direct questions, if you don't mind. Uh, how are how how are there telling signs when a family is waiting too long to begin the transition? And this is something you know. I say to people, they say, "When do we start the transition, Jeffrey?" And I always go, "Yesterday," so that you have time to realize that it might not be going right and make your adjustments. So I'd like to get your opinions on this as well. When when do you think you should start this? Yeah, Jeff, I, I, I agree. Uh, certainly in your own in your own planning, that starts very early. Um, I have seen some telltale signs where it started far too late. We were involved in a in a business uh, in Florida and we had an opportunity to expand that business. And I met with a family who was selling the business and it was the dad and his son that I met with. And it was the, the dad was selling the business. So it seemed like a very reasonable question to ask the son during this first encounter, you know, why are you not buying the business or, or why is it not being transitioned? And the son said, at this stage, I'm too old to start by buying or building a company. So it just goes to show that this dad had kept the business so long that even his son was beyond the age of wanting to build the company. So that's certainly a telltale sign that it's, that's been held too long. So I do think the transition should start, should start early, certainly as soon as your children either have committed that they're engaged or otherwise they've committed that they're not engaged. Other, other, thank you, Chris. Other uh, items would be um, not seizing on industry changes in the that you're missing the signs that you know younger generation things are moving, customers are changing. Uh, same thing with employees or customers that they're either complaining or raising issues or trying to figure out where you're losing business, uh, whether it's top line or you know the bottom line, it's important to understand what's happening. And sometimes it's over a period of years and you don't really see it until it's a cumulative effect. But I think you have to be, as running the business, you have to be aware of what those signs are. Uh, the next question uh, I think most families don't address, even when they're addressing the transition. And I think it's really critical. I've known fathers who held on to death and mothers, some who've held on into their 90s. Uh, when is the, how do you make the major shareholder comfortable with transferring stock and when? And Steve, maybe this is something you've dealt with more than I have. Um, it's never 
they're never totally comfortable. At the same time, there's always the issue of if I transfer the stock, what what is my financial situation has a look. So you have to have a good understanding with the major shareholder, how much can they afford to transfer, et cetera. But assuming that is you're able to do that. Um, it's important that the major shareholder sits and sees what the next generation is able to do and make sure they assume that responsibility and able to handle it. And once that happens, then the uh, major shareholder is in a better position to give up control and is more willing to feel good about their decision that the next generation is assuming the responsibility. They're taking care of the employees. They're going to make this business a, a real success. And Chris, I know, you know, you you had a situation probably with your father and how he handled stock. And now you have your children in the business. So I'm not sure you're going to do what your father does. So that's an interesting question for you as well. Yeah, I, I think uh, I think it is twofold. I think it's one. When is the uh, major shareholder prepared to move on? And, and that is probably both financial and and probably more importantly emotional right and and other interests that that major shareholder may have um and then beyond that certainly is the situation is is that major shareholder comfortable now he's comfortable with his plan or her plan are they comfortable with the next generation running it uh so it is it is twofold um again for us in in this business i was i was lucky my dad seemed to have enough additional interest, although he still he still comes in every day and enjoys that. Uh, but he did have enough additional interest that he wanted to transition out of uh, some of the business. And he appeared to be confident that I'd be able to to do that. Uh, so so for us, it was pretty seamless uh, and didn't and, and didn't take too long. Uh, next question. Uh in the next generation, if when the next generation assumes control over the family business, is it necessary that they own voting control over the stock? Are there action items or strategies that could be implemented? Again, I think a little bit of here too, Stephen, around trustees sometimes controlling voting control of stock. So this is a complicated question, again, that families don't always understand. Depending on the sophisticated planning uh, and whether the the uh, major shareholders put shares into into trust. The question is, you know, I'm a firm believer of more of a board of trustees to operate similar to a board of advisors or board of directors, a fiduciary board of directors. Because I think um, most of the control ultimately will be held up in the trustees' hands. And I think that it, it should be operated similarly to the business environment where there's not just one person controlling it, but there's a group of people controlling it. And that there's a mechanism to replace people and a mechanism to have some type of forum to make sure that decisions are made timely and, uh, and encourage comments and thoughts from the next generation. 
And I sure you picked up on it, Chris. Stephen has just introduced the idea of putting controls and checks and balances over next generation. Right. I, I, I did, Jeff. And in, in our situation, ownership has only the all, all the voting rights and and all the stock. So I would need to learn more through a transition team in order to be able to understand how to best transition some voting control outside of ownership. Okay, well, we're going to keep going down this, what I would call the Stephen Wilchins uh, channel, because I love these legal questions. Do stock transfers from one generation to the next provide opportunities or should they provide opportunities to employees as well as non-family members as you look at the transition of the business? It's important at some point for the family business to go beyond the family and to have stock for the some key, key employees for the purpose of growing the business, for the purpose of making sure that the business goes in the right direction, for the purpose of, of keeping, you know, your major customers in line and vendors. So at some point, uh, there's, I don't think there's anything wrong with expanding the ownership to non-family members. You know, it's funny. I always marvel at clients and I, and I look at Shark Tank too with, you know, when you look at Shark Tank, one of the issues is, well, how do I value the company? If I put in X dollars, what do I get for that percentage? And the issue for clients is it's not so much what they own, it's what they can build. And if they can own one, you know, a 0.002% of IBM, they will they will never be able to spend money. It's worth so much more money than if they owned 100% of a company that never was successful. So my point is that it's not so much total control of ownership percentage. It's how do I get the team together? How do I build value? And therefore, my my interest, whatever it is, will be worth exponentially if, if I can grow it. Steve, we had uh, used some phantom stock for key employees in the past as incentive. Uh, what? How do you judge phantom stock pros and cons against actual stock, if you don't mind? I'm a big fan. You're a big fan, Jeff? I am. I just think it gives – it's it's like getting a custom-made suit. You can make it any way you want. Yeah. yeah. And you're not – you're not obligated to fall into government rules and standards and fiduciary rules. And so I love the customization of, of phantom stock, but I'll let the expert address. No, my no I, I think you're on the right track. I, I like it too, because it it's, it's like an interim step to ultimately giving up some stock at some point, some way, you know, some point in time, but the, the phantom stock, allows you to, as Jeff said, tailor the arrangement in any way you want, both from vesting and time and buyout, et cetera. So there's a lot of flexibility. It's a contract, right? It's not a, it's not a stock ownership, technically, but at the same time, 
the key employees feel like they are part of the team and they can represent to people that I own some stock. And so I think it's all good. And, and um, you know, it's a way of the, the only negative from the employee's point of view, major negative is that they don't have uh, capital gain, ca- capital gains, ordinary income. But besides that, I think it's a, a great tool and strategy to keep your employees and to have them engaged. I love the customization of it, but I'm going to add something about key employees, especially in a family business. Remember, we're the FBA, the Family Business Association, uh, and we're transferring. If you build a business, I mentioned this in the first segment, with that has com- that you have people who understand the complexity, where they have the commitment to the work, and you look at talent retention, the best way to do that is through some kind of blended or menued uh, equity situation because you don't want to lose those people in the transition. And you look at companies like SC Johnson, my uh, my old employer, J&J, the Ford Motor Company, they've all found ways of bringing in people while still retaining the family over generations with proper standards. And I think that's our model that we want to try to do with people. It becomes more blended over time as complexity grows. And I noticed that uh, our trusty host is back. Uh, our producer, Jillian King. Uh, Jillian, I'll turn it over to you. Although I did have one more question, but you're here. So I can I can save that for our next, next segment. Sorry to cut you off, Jeffrey. Thank you, everyone. That was an intriguing discussion about where control lies following a transition. That wraps up part two of the winter 2024 FBA family business panel discussion. Thank you to all our listeners and viewers who have tuned in for this panel. Links will be provided in the video's description below to part one if you didn't already hear it, and to part three of the discussion to hear more on these topics. And if you're a fan of our videos, please be sure to like, comment, share, subscribe, and press that bell button. Radio Entrepreneurs is also active on LinkedIn, so follow our page there as well for more business advice and riveting business discussions all year round. Until next time, goodbye and thanks for listening. We'll be back with more stories on Radio Entrepreneurs.